You've arrived at episode 219. Cholesterol. High cholesterol, low cholesterol, good cholesterol, and bad cholesterol. Some combination of those things lead to heart disease and atherosclerosis. Right? Well, well, well. If you're confused about any of that stuff, then this episode is for you. Or if you're on a cholesterol medication, then you might also want to listen to this, which is likely many people, given it's the highest profit drug to ever be produced. On this episode, we explore the logical, evidence-based medical information around cholesterol and its relationship with heart disease risk and the impact that cholesterol meds have on the outcomes of the people that take them, as well as dabbling in a little bit of, is diet helpful or is it harmful in the aim of protecting your heart from the wretched cholesterol molecule? I think you'll like this one. (laughs) So let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I hope you're fired up and ready for a dose of information that will almost certainly challenge the ideas that you've got about what you should be monitoring and concerned about when it comes to your blood work and as you're getting older with your health. Before that, I'd like you to know, though, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. So on today's episode, we have a blast from the past. This amigo was on episode 66. So at this point, that's literally years ago. And I encourage you to bounce back over to that episode 66 once we're done here. But don't leave just yet. We've got some goods coming. We've got Dr. Stephen Hussey. He's the man on the mic today. He is a chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner. He attained both his doctorate of chiropractic and master's in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon, and has allowed him to become a health coach, speaker, and the author of two amazing books. One, The Health Evolution, which allowed us to chat about the evolution of chronic disease on episode 66, so go check that out. And his second, Understanding the Heart, Surprising Insights into the Evolutionary Origins of Heart Disease. Stephen, so great to have you back with us, man. How are you doing? Pretty good. It's great to be back and uh, good to connect with you again. Totally, totally. I think um, it, for me, it's a little proud moment that uh, this is going to be episode 200 and something and you were on episode 66. So the podcast survived the last few years. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a good number. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, so heart disease, cholesterol, all of that kind of stuff. I get questions about cholesterol so regularly. Um, and I know from all the work that you've done, websites, social media, other podcasts, that you're really big on kind of, I guess dare we say debunking some of this stuff i'd i'd be curious to know where you started though like what were the what was the Mm. sort of the highlights of your journey or the epiphany moments where you realized heart health cholesterol advice was maybe not what it was all cracked up to be yeah well lots of times i get asked you know why why as a chiropractor why are you talking about heart disease um and that you know stems from my own health journey and how I had a lot of inflammatory conditions as a kid and those inflammatory conditions ultimately ended up with me being um, diagnosed with autoimmune type one diabetes. And so as a type one diabetic, you know, I've, I've cured all those inflammatory conditions since, except the, you know, type one is kind of the collateral damage uh, from all that inflammation. So, you know, that leaves me heavily predisposed to heart disease. And so for 
vast majority of my adult life. Uh, I guess I've been looking into that every time I heard anything about heart disease, my ears perked up and, and, uh, I've just been wanting to figure out, you know, how I could, you know, hopefully prevent the disease that I'm supposedly so, you know, predisposed to. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I had, you know, this, uh, medical education as a chiropractor, um, and, you know, you learn all the basic anatomy and physiology and everything, and you learn all these preconceived things about the heart and, and heart disease and, and things like that, just like you learn in any standard medical education. Um, but, you know, since I had this, this passion for it, I started looking and I just, you know, had no, you know, I guess filter through which I consumed information. I was just like, if it's anything to do with heart disease, like, I don't care how crazy it sounds. I want to read it. I want to see what people have to say. And I've kind of always been that way. Uh, as far as uh, information goes, uh, even if I end up reading it and I'm like, yeah, that wasn't too much of anything or that didn't impress me or whatever, I still want to read it. And uh, but I started to figure out that there was a lot of evidence and a lot of um, uh, a lot of, I guess, theories and things that didn't quite stack up. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence to the contrary of what you learn about heart disease. And, you know, I guess maybe three or four years ago, I started talking about it and sharing it and people seem to like it. And so I eventually wrote this second book, Understanding the Heart, just from everything that I found um, about heart disease and, and kind of debunking a lot of the myths we have about heart disease, but not just heart disease, the body and health in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I love the um, the transparency that you sort of naturally have as part of your personality. And I think that's one of the great things about what you do is that you're you're willing to read anything irrelevant of its source, irrelevant of how wild it might sound. And you just go in with that curiosity. I think that's admirable. And I think the medical establishment would be far different if more people took that attitude. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and the things that I've learned, and even if, even if originally I read something, I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, maybe later on, I find new information that makes it not so ridiculous. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, and things start to piece together. So it's, it's, uh, I can't imagine what I would have missed out on if I had said, oh, I don't want to read that because it sounds ridiculous. You know? oh, I can relate to that so much. I often think about you know, when I first started working in hospitals and I think that, that Maddie is, would not believe that this Maddie now sitting on a podcast talking about alternative health and alternative diets and mm-hmm. diets against, against disease and stuff, like those two would not be friends. Past <laughs> me and, and me currently would not be friends. They'd be mortal enemies. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I can see that as well in myself, yeah. Totally. Um, so some of that stuff that uh, you felt was different, like what are the top couple? Like what are the big things that most people you think uh, have a misconception about or misinformation about that really shock people and they're like, whoa, I've been told something else my entire life. Yeah, I think, well, I'll give you like three of the misconceptions and then one interesting thing that I learned on the way. So the, the one is, you know, I guess the big one that everybody talks about is that cholesterol causes heart disease, like high LDL levels are the driving force in, in heart disease, which is just absolutely not true um, for, for many reasons. Um, but uh, that's kind of the big one because that's what's talked about most. Um, then there's the idea that a heart attack um, only happens when there's a blockage of an artery, because uh, that is also not the case. It does happen. You know, an artery can get blocked and that can cause um heart attack, uh, but it's not the only way that it happens. Um, and then I, a third one is that the, the role, the third, I guess, myth or misconception is that the heart 
is responsible for moving the blood in the body, or at least it's it's uh, the only thing that moves the blood is because it's not the only thing that moves the blood, and the, the blood more or less moves on its own, um, and the heart is there for another reason. Um, so those are three big misconceptions. I think you know the main ones um, I, I cover in my book, but uh, then the third interesting thing that I I looked into was that. Um, somebody posed a question to me a while back about why heart cancer is so rare and why it's one of the rarest forms of all cancer. And so based on information I had and things I looked into, I, I, I think I figured out why that is. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, those are, those are some, some big talking points in, in the book and, yeah. and things that people like. Yeah, they're some massive ones. I'm just thinking, well, there's like three podcasts there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's do the cholesterol. Let's let's go down the cholesterol yeah. conversation and cholesterol causing heart disease and blocking arteries and that type of stuff. Um, I guess starting where we all kind of started, which is that that is true. Why did we first believe that is true? Uh, yeah, so the, the idea that it caused heart disease uh, was a driving force in it uh, came from some poorly done science. Um, I mean, it's 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 not surprising that the science was this way because when we live in a, a pharmaceutical, um, you know, driven medical system, uh, it's a very reductionist science. Um, you know, it's, it's take this one, uh, molecule and try and change it or alter it to, to make a pharmaceutical that can do that and, you know, prevent some disease or, or whatever, or change some biochemical pathway. And so you're kind of, you know, breaking the body down, the physiology down into these individual biochemical pathways, which is very reductionist. It's not how the body works. We're this complex biological ecosystem. There many things are happening all at once. And so to reduce a disease down to one molecule in the body is very uh, short-sighted. Um, but the idea in the first place that that uh, cholesterol molecule, this LDL lipoprotein uh, molecule was driving disease was based off some flawed science done in um, you know, the 1950s, uh, 40s and 50s by a guy named Ansel Keys and, and his um, his associates. Um, they did what's called, they were epidemiologists, which means they do epidemiology, which is a type of research where you're basically looking at observations and seeing if things are associated with each other. Um, but you can't prove with that research that something causes something else. All you can see is if they're happening at the same time. Um, so the example I give in many cases is if you're standing on the side of the road and there's a traffic jam and it's also cloudy, you can't say, oh, the clouds caused the traffic jam or <laughs> the traffic jam caused the clouds. Like they're happening at the same time, but you don't know if one caused the other. In order to, to figure out if you if one caused the other, you have to repeat it, repetitively do an experiment where you create clouds and see if a traffic jam happens, right? And so epidemiology type research doesn't do that. So all it did was look at, you know, uh, do these people eat more saturated fat and cholesterol on diet? Is there more heart disease? Um, and there's some, some studies that are associational studies that show, yes, that's the case. And there's a lot that show that's not the case. So it just goes to show that you can't really take those, you know, into consideration when you're making recommendations. And unfortunately, most of the recommendations for dietary guidelines from government institutions and academic institutions is uh, is based on that type of research, which it never should have been used to, to do that. And so we've gotten this story. And then curiously, you know, this theory, you know, was pushed forward um, before the science was actually there, but it's actually one of the most heavily tested, like clinical trial tested uh, theories out there. And when they started doing the, the clinical trials by like replacing um you know, saturated fat with unsaturated fat in people. They found that the more unsaturated fat that people ate, the more heart disease 
more cancer, the more all-cause mortality they had. Yet the theory had already taken off and there was lots of money behind it um, from different industries. And so it kind of stuck and it's stuck for quite a while now. And it's only recently that I think people are starting to wake up and realize that like um, from an academic perspective, but also from an individual perspective, like humanity is just kind of waking up and realizing that it doesn't make sense um, that that, that uh, would be the case. And, uh, and, the, and the research is starting to show that. Yeah, for sure. I think the, one of the interesting things is that I, you know, just like you would too, you get asked all the time about what's the best diet, what time should I eat this, what should I eat, um, and for me, like we don't need even need science at all to answer that question. It's just walk outside, go to the mall, go to the shopping center, and look around. Is what we're doing working? <laughs> no. <Right. laughs> so what were they doing a hundred years ago? Let's do that. Like you don't even need science at all. And I think as well, it's good that you clarified the epidemiology there too, because I think uh, words like that uh, have become a lot more familiar to people over the last few years and having them understand that epidemiology yeah, finds associations, but really that's just the entry point for curiosity rather than the de determining factor for conclusions, right? So it's the point where it's like, oh, you know, these two things seem to be happening in the same space. Let's go and do a real scientific trial to test that theory rather than just finishing the conversation there and just assuming that that's, the, that's the result. So I think that people understanding that is good because yeah, the news has pumped out information about epidemiology in the last few years, tons, <laughs> loads. <laughs> yeah. I think I really like that you say we don't even need science to tell us, you know, what to eat. I, I like that because I've been talking a lot recently about what I call hyper reality. Um, something that's humans tend to take as more real than what's, really happening. Um, and I think that in a way you can view modern medical science as a hyper reality because we're, mm. we're looking at those things and we're looking at, you know, these individual biochemical pathways and different things like that. And we're almost taking that as more real than what we actually observing, like, you know, in humans, you know, like we're saying, you know, the, the science is supposedly telling us that, you know, saturated fat is bad. Um, and that unsaturated fats are good and that, you know, meat is bad and things like that. And then we see the result of people following those guidelines, which is the state of modern humanity, like in the obesity yeah. epidemic and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, yeah, but this is what the science says. So this is true. And it's like, well, maybe that's a hyper reality that we're creating. And we need to kind of back up and have a little bit of wisdom uh, and say, yeah, what did humans haven't eaten vegetable oils for very long? It's only been about a hundred years. You know, we haven't had processed sugar and processed grains and the quantities that we're eating them now. Maybe we should just take that into account and then use the medical science and, and, and research to kind of guide us and get information and everything, but it shouldn't be our, you know, our Bible, so to speak. You know, we should take a lot of other things into account when deciding what's possibly best for humans. Yeah, I agree. And I find it concerning as well, whether it be with the people I work with or just anyone that I chat with, that irrelevant of their own physical experience, they still would rather take a scientific study that proves this particular superfood to be the thing that changes their reality as opposed to taking stripping it all back and being like, okay, maybe I need to just eat a different diet or maybe I need to just stress less by changing the job that I've got or, you know, improving my stress management mm -hmm. by introducing breath work or something like that. But for some reason, people find those really basic tools 
just to be too much work or too time consuming or too overwhelming. Um, so yeah, hyper reality. I really like the way you describe that because I think yeah, mm. it's it's hard to avoid, especially with social media and everything. You know, being on TikTok in fifteen second bites. It's like the answer to my whole life's problems is this sentence. <laughs> yeah, and 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 just piggybacking right on that sentence you just said is. Western medicine and modern medicine has said the answer to my entire heart disease problem is this one thing. We can simplify it down to this one thing because that makes it easy to treat, even if the treatments are proving unsuccessful, which if we look at all the studies on lowering cholesterol, it's not working uh, at all. Uh, so that can't really be the solution if, if we see this not working. Heart disease continues to rise despite more and more people being prescribed statins and PCSK9 inhibitors and things like that. So um, we have to look at those things and, and make sense of that, you know, and then be wise enough to step back and say, okay, maybe we got it wrong. Mm, for sure. Well, and you, you mentioned before um, vegetable oils, sugar, and, you know, we're talking about obviously here the stressful life that we live in, this hyper-reality that we've created for ourselves. What does cause the increase in cholesterol and is or is it not concerning on face value? Yeah, so there's actually some evidence that eating dietary cholesterol doesn't really affect your levels that much. Um, and so it's mainly driven by um, uh, the production of cholesterol in your liver from like making t- taking fatty acids and making cholesterol. Um, and so that process can be affected by different things. Um, you know, there's a few different theories, um, one being that, you know, receptors for cholesterol are um, for the, on the liver are shut down for whatever reason, which suggests to me that your body wants the cholesterol there if it's yeah. shutting down the receptors, right? It needs it for some reason. Um, there are theories by guys like Dave Feldman who say that it's about um, energy, you know, delivery to the cells because LDL is carrying those triglycerides um, and fatty acids and things uh, to be delivered for energy, especially on someone with a lower carb diet, like you're running off fatty acids more. So those have to be delivered. So the LDL goes up to deliver more. Um, lots of different theories um, of why that is. Um, and then, you know, some people do see, uh, like if you're eating more cholesterol, you do get a bit more absorption of that uh, versus phytosterol. And that, you know, will cause levels to go up, um, you know, temporarily, like when you, like when you, that's why you fast when you do a blood a blood panel, you know, because you don't want the levels to be affected by what you just ate. But that's mainly a triglyceride thing. Um, but yeah, so it goes up. And in my opinion, I, I tend to think that, you know, the body's pretty smart. Um, and if levels go up, uh, it's probably because they need to go up for some reason. Uh, whether or not they cause a problem is where, you know, the science is definitely unsettled. And there's definitely not enough to say, yes, this is a clear problem. When we look at studies of, of people who have what's called familial hypocholesterolemia, which is genetically high cholesterol, just for whatever reason, and they don't die any sooner uh, than people who have, you know, quote unquote, optimal levels of cholesterol. Um, and so, and then, but then there was like, and they did this big, long study that was like tracking the genetics of these people like for two centuries and generations and generations of these people with this gene. And yeah, they found that the ones who did die sooner, it was because they chose to do things like smoke and drink and, you know, had higher stress. And it was the things like that, um, that were associated with higher rates of mortality than, than cholesterol, than just having high cholesterol genetically. Um, but if you look at, you know, Back in the 80s, I think it was 1984, um, there was this big committee put together to decide if cholesterol was good or bad for us. And they, in my opinion, incorrectly, you know, determined that it was bad. And uh, from that committee, they, they put together all these uh, other committees that were designed to teach doctors about how to lower cholesterol. 
And the pharmaceutical companies were heavily involved in funding these committees. And so they, they, yeah, eventually, you know, at first it was like, okay, LDL should be uh, no more than 250. Uh, and then they got them to lower it to 200. And they got them to lower it to 150. And they got them to lower it to 100, which tells me two things. One um, is that pharmaceutical companies are trying to make money. And the lower that recommendation is, the more people can be prescribed the drug. So they, you know, funded the lowering of that recommendation. But then also it tells me that we have no idea what cholesterol is really supposed to be. If we originally determined it was supposed to be 250, right? Uh, LDL yeah. anyways. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, and I think as well with evidence-based medicine or that line, evidence-based medicine, and I kind of roll my eyes these days when I hear somebody say, my diet is evidence-based or I work evidence-based because there's a, literally studies to prove everything that you've ever you know, wanted to prove. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing with evidence-based medicine and these pharmaceutical companies being the educators of the doctors is that the doctors assume that the evidence that they're be, they're receiving is correct, right, or is accurate. And when we're looking in that um, that that really specific focus of this one mechanism, uh, then yeah, sure, it is evidence based medicine because the statin does lower the cholesterol, and the assumption in this evidence is that high cholesterol is the problem. So, and then off the back of that, you've got the medical system which is held to the standard of care. And so that means obviously that, you know, that we need to treat patients along according to the guidelines that are set out by pharmaceutical companies, the medical industry, the AMA. And if people get hurt, but you followed those rules, it's totally okay. It doesn't matter if you cause the heap of problems. It's if you mm-hmm. deviate by suggesting diet instead of statins that you're deviating from the standard of care and then potentially putting your medical career at risk. So I think this like combination of standard of care um, narrative along with evidence-based medicine, which is full of assumptions, aka not evidence, <laughs> is mm-hmm. like these two things are really creating have created over the last you know half a century a real situation with the whole you know cholesterol narrative. Yeah, I actually uh, talk about a paper in uh, the kind of closing thoughts of my book called um, it's not, it was just about like evidence-based medicine isn't working like this. This idea of following the evidence to give us the best type of medicine is not working. And part of the reasons they give is because there's, you know, industry influence and things like that. Um, and then other other things is that, you know, it was just very reductionist. But they they proposed this in the paper. They proposed um, medicine based evidence, um, which they say, you know, wouldn't it be great if, you know, instead of just looking at these, you know, research studies and determining what we should do, if we had uh, this huge database of like all the different ways that people have been treated for certain diseases. And if it was successful, it's reported in there. Right. And then, you know, by over time, we would have this huge database that people would go look, okay, uh, Crohn's disease, what has worked, what hasn't, you know, for individuals, is there, you know, a, um, you know, is there a larger percentage of individuals who went on a, you know, immunosuppressive drug that it worked more, or was it a diet change that worked more like, and it would just be, you know, it would be, you know, evidence or I guess medicine driven by um, or evidence driven by medicine, like medicine's actually being done. And then we get evidence from that rather than trying to understand the human body and, and get this evidence and decide what we should do to, you know, influence or change the, the situation. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. 
If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you'll receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, which is very much how the likes of Ayurveda and traditional Chinese mm. medicine came about, right? Is that just many, many, many years of experimentation. However, obviously, the in the modern world, the that's too much of a legal risk for companies to possibly be sued for suggesting the wrong thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It, it's just too many like stipulations or, or laws in place and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I guess... What what does cause high cholesterol? Because we hear, obviously, the keto diet's been huge in the last 10 years. Carnivores in the last sort of three to five is really becoming a thing. Um, what, like a lot of people say to me, like, oh, you know, I can't eat meat because of my cholesterol or, you know, I get a lot of people inquiring about stuff through the website about saying they're on a plant-based diet and they refuse to eat meat because they've got high cholesterol in their family and that type of thing. So, what should people actually be concerned about and why should they not be concerned about those types of diets? Yeah, I don't think because the more and more I look into it and just, you know, step back philosophically, I don't know that there is... It's hard for me to say that there is such a thing as high cholesterol. I mean, if we if we quantify it and say that this is what it's supposed to be, then yes, we can say it's high right now. Um, but it's it's varies so much. I mean, I know people who go on plant based diet, plant based diets, and have high cholesterol, and people who go on um, you know carnivore diets and have very normal, quote unquote, normal cholesterol. If we really know what that is, so yeah, so I don't think that we really know exactly. Uh, I think that it's dependent or, or independent of the person. Um, some people are going to have higher cholesterol. Some people are going to have lower cholesterol, and that's just, you know, you, whatever your body needs, it's gonna it's gonna provide that for it, um, unless we're you know giving them some drug that artificially lowers it or something like that. Um, so yeah, but more importantly, like when people talk about cholesterol, they're really talking about atherosclerosis, like that form of heart disease, because there's different forms. You know, there's heart attacks, there's you know cardiac arrest, there's atherosclerosis, there's heart failure, different things, but. Um, atherosclerosis, like hardening of the arteries or deposition of plaque into the arterial wall. That's what they're talking about or concerned about when it comes to cholesterol. But what's really more important um, when it comes to uh, cholesterol or atherosclerosis is damage to the lining of the artery. Because when we look at and analyze what atherosclerosis is, it's clotting material. It's not this buildup of cholesterol. There's some cholesterol present because when clots form, whatever is around just happens to end up in the clot as well. And cholesterol is around, LDL is around, and LPL is around and things like that. But um, but yeah, it's, it's clotting tissue. So the only reason the body would clot is if there's damage. It's just like if you cut your skin, 
and the scab forms, you know, that's the clotting material stopping that bleeding. And so if there's things that damage the lining of the artery to the extent that if it's threatening to, you know, bleed, uh, then the body will form clots and, and patch that up. Now, there's a usual wear and tear that would happen in our arteries, uh, just normal wear and tear that would happen to anything. And, you know, it's supposed to be not too excessive that it overwhelms uh, or causes too much damage. And also, we're supposed to be able to repair that um, pretty readily. Um, and the ability to repair that um, is dependent on insulin signaling. Uh, and so, if we get insulin resistant, which is the characteristic of type 2 diabetes, uh, then the body can't repair those cells as well. We end up getting clotting material rather than prepared cells, which is why type 2 diabetes is so heavily associated with uh, atherosclerosis. Um, and so it's the combination of things that cause damage to the lining of the artery and being insulin resistant that really drives this formation of atherosclerosis. So the natural question is, well, what causes damage to the lining of the artery? Um, and there's many things, or it can be many things. It can be heavy metal buildup. It can be endotoxemia, which is um, the presence of bacteria in the blood that shouldn't really be there from leaky gut or poor dental health. Um, it could be um, fluctuating blood sugars. Blood sugars are going up and down way too much. Uh, it could be psychological stress. Uh, lots of different things that have been shown to cause inflammation and damage to the endothelia, the lining of the artery. And if that becomes too much or the body can't repair itself, then the body has to do something and it forms clotting material. And that's exactly what we find when we analyze atherosclerosis. 87% of what they find is fibrotic, fibrinogen type tissue. And I guess as well, like if we're eating a Western diet or even if we're eating kind of healthy, but we're regularly dabbling in foods that have sugar, vegetable oil, chemical additives, all of these artificial sweeteners, that the buildup occurs because... The, the, obviously, as you just described, like we obviously need to respond to damage and inflammation. But if the diet doesn't change or the lifestyle that's causing it doesn't change, those things just build up over time. So it looks like you've got some kind of disease that you've been afflicted with. And it's like this problem just keeps growing without correctly labeling the cause. And if we actually flip the diet around, then some of that, uh, you know, some of those plaque buildups and, and calcification in the arteries would start to reverse because we wouldn't be continually contributing to the problem. Yeah, the body doesn't want them to be there. And if given the opportunity, you know, we'll get rid of them. Um, you know, and uh, even if they've calcified, like some cardiologists have told me that they, they once they're calcified, they stay that way. But I've seen people's CAC scores go down. Yeah, uh, so yeah, so it's it's not impossible uh, if you if you give the body to do the right things, um, and so yeah, like I, there's this paper that I talk about, um, I've talked about before called the myth of the vulnerable plaque, and it talks about how um, uh, basically the buildup of plaque because you know if we get one clot that forms, it's not going to block an artery, but if it if you continue to do the things that are insulting the lining of the artery, it'll just build up kind of like. You cut a cut a tree and you see the rings, you know, it'll just kind of build up and build up until it can eventually block the artery. Um, but, you know, that's not necessarily the reason for heart attacks, um, as, I, as I talk about. But, uh, yeah. The other thing that just continually blows my mind is that it seems like the further and further we go in this sort of more holistic perspective of investigating disease, we always end up at blood sugar and insulin. Whether it's mm. cancer and the increased consumption of sugar requirement on, in cancer cells, whether it be obviously diabetes, um, whether it be uh, heart attacks and cholesterol, A1C, 
insulin, glucose, it's always a part of the problem, including Alzheimer's. Many people don't realize Alzheimer's is beginning to be referred to as type 3 diabetes because of its relevance to the insulin problem. And it just, which all just comes back to the diet, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the three kind of pillars I talk about as far as what causes heart disease, but really all disease is uh, poor metabolic health. And, and that the number one way you affect that and, and you change that and create good metabolic health is diet. And, you know, people argue all the time about, you know, plant-based or carnivore or paleo or whatever, and or keto or, or whatever. And I, I say that, you know, as long as like a whole foods diet is really what's going to create metabolic health. And there are, there are better forms of whole food diets than others. Obviously, I think animal foods are really, really important. Uh, and that vegan diets are going to leave you de- deficient in lots of nutrients. Um, but, uh, you know, initially, a whole food vegan diet will create metabolic health uh, for someone who's coming from a standard American diet, right? Uh, and so that's initially what they what they see. Uh, but, you know, and, and there's ketogenic diets, I think, are incredibly effective, more effective and, and quicker at creating metabolic health uh, and things like that. But in reality, a, a whole foods diet uh, and, and uh, knowing where your food bank came from and that kind of thing is, is the quickest route to metabolic health. Yeah, I totally agree. And I like that combination of metabolic health plus like nutritional density or the idea of that because it's like obviously we can get to a place where we've lowered the disease but in order to actually move towards optimal health the diet we're on has to have all of the nutrition Um, whereas in some instances i've definitely found um, plant-based diets to result in people having all sorts of nutritional deficiencies but some of them don't take some of them do take a little while in order for them to actually show up many years in some instances. We've actually had a, um, a nutritionist on the podcast years ago now. She was my first ever interview on episode 10 um, and she was a friend of mine and she was a vegan for 10 years, had a massive following that she'd built, you know, in the early days of Instagram when it was easy to build a following and um, and she ended up, yeah, having all sorts of health issues and had to move to, mm-hmm. to plants again and like her audience was an absolutely savage about it. <laughs> yeah i mean people can be quite savage online so i can imagine yeah i'm curious in your clinical practice what uh um, consequences you've seen from people consuming statins for long periods of time what what kind of damage or physical consequences can come as a result and second to that do you think there is a place for statins um yeah so i mean i'm a chiropractor i mainly like in clinical you know just in my office i mainly see neuromusculoskeletal type things so Mm-hmm. The most, you know, so lots of times, um, you know, I, I, I'll have a patient that's just not responding as well or something like that. And I'll go and I'll check their, check their notes and see, oh, yep, they're on a statin. Um, not all the time, but lots of times, um, or, or it won't be on their notes or whatever. And, or I'll have someone come in. I just had uh, a few weeks ago, someone came and they were a long time patient. They were kind of on a wellness frequency now. And so they came in and like, I'm having this new pain. And I was like, oh, okay. So I adjust them a few times over a few weeks or whatever. And they're like, it's not going away. And I was like, did you do anything new? They're like, well, they put me on a statin. And I was like, oh, you know, like, and so muscle pain, you know, cholesterol is incredibly important for function of muscle. And uh, if you deprive the body of, of that or tell it not to make uh, cholesterol, then, then yeah, it's going to result in muscle pain. So that's one of the main things I see in clinical practice because I deal with neuromusculoskeletal type things. Um, but you know, cholesterol is essential for lots of different things. I mean, there's, there's plenty of research out there showing that it, um, can cause cognitive decline, uh, memory issues, things like that. Um, it can uh, cause sexual dysfunction, 
Um, it can uh, de- de- deplete your body of um, uh, fat-soluble vitamins because, you know, they they're need to be carried in fat, and the LDL is what transports the fat around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, cholesterol is essential for the, the communication between cells. Uh, so it's uh, in the neurotransmitters uh, communicated, um, so we can get all kinds of neurological stuff. Um, it's, uh, it's a pretty um, useful molecule and it's used for a lot of different things. So we start to see, you know, it's even been shown, uh, to, uh, cause insulin resistance because one of the, one of the molecules that's created in the process of making cholesterol is used for, uh, creating, uh, insulin or used for insulin receptors. And so if you're not making that because you're not making cholesterol, because you're taking this drug, then you can get insulin resistance, which is the driver of heart disease, like we just talked about. Uh, so there's even evidence that that can happen. And then, um, there's even evidence that, uh, it can create atherosclerosis because it inhibits, uh, the production of, um, uh, K1 to K2, you know, and K2 is the one that takes the calcium, uh, away from the arteries and puts it where it needs to go in the bone. If we don't have enough K2 because we're taking statins and that's a problem. Um, so yeah, lots of different, lots of different issues with the drug. And then is there ever a place for them? I, you know, I don't know. And as a chiropractor, I, I guess I technically can't speak on it because, you know, or I can't recommend them because, you know, it's not within my scope of practice. Um, but uh, I would say in very few instances, yes, maybe there could be. Um, and, you know, it, it, some people just genetically, I guess, have an issue with higher levels of cholesterol, but it's always because there's something else going on too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I'd say maybe in the case of someone who's got, um, a really high inflammatory process going on. Um, and, and so when that inflammatory process happens, it damages things in the body. One of those things could be LDL and oxidized or damaged LDL is not a good thing to have around. So if you have a lot of LDL around and you're damaging it all, then maybe it'd be a good idea to lower it. I, but you have to recognize that there could be consequences from that other consequences. So, yeah, so maybe in some instances, but in reality, it's, it's, it's short-sighted to think that just changing one molecule in the body is going to prevent a whole disease. Yeah, and that that makes total sense to me. And I think the other thing, I guess, to consider for many people is that when when they're sitting in front of their doctor, um, you know, and I guess if they're listening to this podcast, then they're probably a little bit open-minded anyway. But to ask questions, to be curious, to investigate other options, even I, I encourage people to simply say, to their doctor, like, what could be causing that? And many of them just say, you know, many of the people that have come back to me on that just say, oh, it's just, just you're getting old, like, or this is just part of life. Um, And if we go back to that idea of evidence-based medicine, like, yeah, if we look, if we look at the evidence, it looks like getting older is just a part of, you know, high cholesterol and gaining weight and all of these things. But again, we're not looking a layer deeper at the cause of the problem. And I think, when it comes to you know the um, cholesterol classification of being high, as you mentioned earlier as well, there was you know a group of people that decided what it was going to be, and then I actually did a podcast on cholesterol as well, where I talked about um, the committee that got together in the early two thousands, which lowered the, the those ca- uh, categories, and in that um, in that meeting, I think there was from memory there was nine people on the committee, and eight of them had statin company affiliations um and it's like evidence-based medicine wins again <laughs> yeah right well it's interesting you know like you're talking about like how oh yeah it's just old age this is what happens when you get older 
And, you know, I love giving this example in that, you know, I, when I, when I have a, someone with an x-ray come into the clinic and I'm showing them their vertebra and, and I'm showing them the structure of their spine and all this stuff. And, you know, I'll see some arthritis in some joints in the spine, some degenerative disc disease or something. And they say, and they say, yeah, but I'm 65, you know, that's just, that's just what happens. And I say, well, look at this vertebra three, three levels up. That one's completely healthy. This vertebra is the same age as this one down here. You know, so if it had anything to do with age, this one would be degenerated too, because it's the same age. And they go, oh, yeah, I guess so. So what is it? And I said, well, I tell them all the reasons that it can have degeneration in that joint, you know, and for a chiropractor, that's lack of motion. Um, but yeah, um, so it's just an interesting, it's, it's not, age is not this thing that will kill you, you know. Uh, it definitely <laughs> gets harder to, you know, maintain health as you age. We all agree with that, but it doesn't mean that you're just programmed to break down one day, you know, and, and the level of breakdown can definitely be fixed, you know. Do you think people are confronted by the uh, amount of responsibility they need to take in order to come to terms with the fact that they've created this situation over years and years and years? Because that's what I've found. What I've found is that a lot of people know fundamentally that they probably should eat better, they probably should manage their stress, they probably should do this, but they just never get around to it. And so they, they're able to throw out lines like, oh, I'm getting old or, you know, you only live once or it's, oh, it's, it's only today, you know. And yeah. really what that is is just a, I have an, in, an inability to take responsibility for what needs to happen or what I've done to myself. Yeah, definitely. Or, yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing is it's, yeah, I don't want to change or you don't want to confront that, you know, you've been, you know, living in a way that wasn't conducive. Not that, not that everybody knows that and they just mm. do it anyways, you know, because they just may not be enlightened, you know, in that sense, you know, they just not interested. Um, and so they've never really figured that out. So it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily that they, they're purposely choosing not to, it's just that they're just, they've been told and, and, you know, we're all yeah. pre-programmed, um, you know, that, uh, you just kind of lived your life and all the things that we've been told we do are normal. You know, it's normal to, you know, stay up super late and, and, and drink or smoke or eat poor food or, or whatever. And then, you know, you know, you know, sleep half through the morning and not have this right circadian rhythm. It's just, that's just what people do. It's a high stress job and that's just how it is, you know? Um, but it's not normal. And, uh, and, or it's, it's normal to, you know, you get sick, you go to the doctor, they give you medication that fixes it. Right. So then people are so confused when in Western medicine and they get frustrated that, you know, they start to get sick, they go, they try this medication or they say, oh, we don't really have an answer for you. There's no cure for this. There's no, uh, there's no um, treatment or anything like that. And they're really confused. Like, oh, I thought medicine had it all figured out. You know, I thought that, you know, you could just fix me. Um, and so, so yeah, it's just, we've been told all this stuff from a, from a, a young age, I think. Uh, and so, yes. And then when you're confronted with, it may be, uh, an issue with how you're living your life. People are just like, no, they put that, like, I don't want to hear that. That can't be right. Um, and that's, you know, but I, when I, when I come across that, I'm more than happy to kind of give people my two cents, you, you know, if they want it, I'm not going to force it on anybody, but I want, even if they don't believe it, I want to tell them because, you know, I may be the first time they heard it. If they hear it again somewhere else, then they hear it again somewhere else. Then that third time, maybe they'll think, "Oh, maybe I should change." But I'm happy to be the first one. Uh, yeah, you know. I'm the so same. I, I still I still give it to them. 
Yeah, in the beginning, when I really started learning this information for myself before I was enlightened, um, I was really activist vibe. <laughs> I was just like, no, you've got to eat this way. You're being lied to. Oh, my God. Like, uh, And then I realized, like, at some point, I, I had some degree of maturity and um, realized, like, all the people I've just spoken to, I've probably turned away from this path for life because I was just so intense and overwhelming. And then once I realized just what you described, it's like, oh, it probably took me 30 or 40 exposures to this information before I really took it on board. Uh, and I, yeah, I realized, oh, if I'm exposure one, amazing. If I'm exposure five, if I'm exposure 40, like all of it is useful. I've just got to do it in a pleasant way. And I mean, there was things where I was resistant. I remember, you know, tr- early, early in my 20s when I was trying to get super healthy, I just thought, you know, obviously you eat vegetables to get super jacked, basically. <laughs> it's like protein and vegetables. So I just ate so many, so many salads, so much stuff. And like, I got lean, but I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. get jacked. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's because yeah, I, mean, I, I do it. Yeah. I just wasn't enlightened. I just didn't get what was going on. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, 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 you know, also wise to think that, um, or to realize that, you know, if you do start on a health journey and you find something that really, really helps you, um, that thing that helps you or that diet that helps you, that lifestyle that helps you may not be the thing that's best for you the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it may have to change as you change and in, in age and things like that, or maybe you'll need more of this or less of that or something, you know? Um, but you know, I, and I, I, there's a lot of, you know, I guess, extreme type of diets out there. And lots of them have a lot of benefit for a lot of people because they go away from a standard American diet and they do this extreme thing, but it doesn't mean that that's what you have to do forever. Um, yeah. And sometimes it may not, it, it may get to a point where it doesn't work for you anymore. Um, and it's not creating health and you have to be, I guess, smart enough to, to step back and say, okay, what can I change? You know, just like you did before when you realized that how you were living your life was not working and you changed. Um, so I think that we should remember that. Yeah, I agree. And it's this, it's frustrating because I too would love just one piece of advice to last my whole life. And I think that's what people are looking for. Like, tell me the optimal diet and then I'll just do that forever. Uh, One, it's unlikely you'll do that forever anyway because you're a human that likes a diversity of behavior and variety. But but yeah, especially, and I have this conversation all the time with um, people interested in fat loss because the adaptation phase is going to happen. We're going to have we're going to have to change things up semi regularly, depending on your metabolism and your body and your medical history. It might be you know it might be every couple of weeks, it might be every couple of months, but we need to interrupt that adaptation plateau phase, uh, and that looks like different food at a different time, uh, you know, and, and sort of I call it the accordion model. We might need to come in, come out, come in. It's kind of like you know weight loss, maintenance, weight loss, maintenance, weight loss, maintenance, um, and that that just doesn't sell well, Stephen. People don't want to hear that. <laughs> That's true. It doesn't so well. Um, yeah. And you, you don't have to change, you know, have to, because, you know, we're all taught, like we're all in today's world where you have to be good at one thing and that's your job and that makes you money. And then you can outsource everything else. You can outsource your food. You can outsource your healthcare. You can, and so you just kind of uh, end up relying on people who that's their job to tell you what to do. And and unfortunately, there's, it's, it's not the only way, you know, the, the, the way that we're outsourcing. You, know, you have to really have to be educated in a lot of different areas uh, to kind of master your health and master your life. And, and so it's about, you know, doing the work to figure out how you should change and not just necessarily blinding, trusting people that you pay, you know, to, to tell you. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Taking responsibility and ownership, I think, is at the core of that. Which, yeah, in this outsourcing society, is a bit of a foreign idea for many people. But uh, highly likely that people are doing that if they're listening to this conversation still at this point. <laughs> so, um, yeah. but wh- where can uh, where can people find you online and your books and your work and yeah, where can they hang out with you? Yeah, my website is called resourceyourhealth.com and my my blog is there. My uh, my books are on there, and uh, I also do like online consulting, uh, so people can find that there. Uh, my books are on Amazon, um, but they're also if people don't want to use Amazon, you can go to the the publisher's website, which is Chelsea Green, uh, and there's a few other booksellers that they can find it on. And then uh, I'm on social media. Uh, it's just uh, Dr. Stephen Hussey, Dr. Stephen Hussey. People can find me Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Reach out to me there. Amazing. We'll uh, put all of those links in the show notes below so that if you've enjoyed this episode and we're kind of melting your brain around the cholesterol conversation then, and you want to share this with a friend, uh, please do. Make sure you, well, you know, we're trying to create more healthy friends in the world. So share it with love and kindness. Don't be telling them what to do. Um, and if you are, just blame me. Just blame me. You, use me to bring up difficult conversations. Um, and otherwise, sharing your story, feel free to give us a rating, a review. Really appreciate you being here on the show and listening with us. Steve, thanks so much for being here too. I appreciate your time, your wisdom, your energy, and I'm so glad we were able to get you back. So before we do wrap up, what is one piece of health information you wish more people knew about? Um, well, I, I wish more people realized that we're not just a biochemical being. It's not just biochemical things that happen into us, uh, in us. There's, uh, also like a, I call it the biophysics side of us. Um, and so that's paying attention to, um, you know, more, uh, things like light and, and, uh, and temperature, uh, and things like that, circadian rhythm, um, things like that, which, all of those things play into, um, you know, biochemistry as well and the effect of biochemistry, but there's a large physics side to us humans that we should pay attention to, um, you know, everything from, uh, you know, contact with the earth to, um, to the right types of sounds, um, all different things that affect our physiology. And I'm trying as hard as I can to kind of bring, uh, bring light to that as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, mate. I appreciate you being here and we'll catch you really soon. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.